Hey, everybody, it's Saturday, February 12th, 2022, and you are listening to the Pure Capital Podcast. Today on the podcast, it is the second week of the month, so we are talking about startups. Uh, specifically today, we are going to talk about your first 10 hires. So what does it take to get those first 10 hires? Who do you want on your team? And what kind of culture uh, do you want to build for your startup? Culture is the most important thing, in my opinion, um, that there is out there when you're trying to build that business is building that culture and building that um, group of people who are going after that common goal. And today, James is going to talk to us a lot about that. So hop on, James. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Norm. I'm excited to uh, talk about things today. I think, uh, you know, it's one that really hits home. Uh, you know, with Iconic over the past couple of years, we've had to hire on folks. And, um, you know, this year we'll be ramping up the team and, and probably doubling or nearly tripling in size. So I'm excited to get on here and share a little bit about, uh, you know, my experiences and just the experiences of other founders and kind of get some good thoughts around how to really start building out a team, uh, you know, around a core set of founders for a startup. Very good. I, I love it. I'm, I'm excited for this one. I mean, like I said, in kind of the kickoff here, like to me, that's the most important thing, right? The people, the people are what make the business go around and, and your success is, correlated directly to the team that you build around you and and uh how you uh, direct and lead that team so i'm i'm excited about this absolutely absolutely let's jump right into it so uh you know i'm gonna kind of break it down today into two main categories i think the first one you know when you're hiring early folks is kind of hiring that first uh one or two like truly the first or second kind of early hires at the company and then we'll kind of talk a little bit more about, you know, almost three through 10 and a little bit beyond there. Um, this is something that's so, so important. I think that, uh, you know, as founders, when you're in, a, you know, building a company and you're building a startup, you're wearing all these different hats. Sometimes you get so caught up in the trenches uh, that you don't really, you know, take a, take a second to just step back and see, you know, what are the, what are the holes that need filled, you know, in the line? Um, you know, because essentially you're, you're a group of people really going to war together in a way. Uh, and some people are going to be better than than others at certain things. Uh, and, and that's just, you know, that's just how it is. But as a leader of a company, you have to be able to identify, you know, what are the what are the strengths? What are your core strengths? What are your co-founders core strengths? Uh, and then what are, you know, as you hire on people, what are their core strengths? And how do you continuously make sure that there's no gaps in the in those sets of core strengths? Um, you know, as, as Norm hinted at in the beginning of the, uh, of the episode, this sets the culture of the company. Uh, you know, if you hire someone as your first employee who, you know, maybe isn't a startup, uh, doesn't have as much of a startup mindset, you know, or isn't necessarily very good at their job or, or uh, very productive at their job, uh, and you keep them around, that's going to set the culture as you hire out, you know, more, more and more folks to the team. So really nailing this and getting this right uh, as founders, whether you're a first time founder or a fifth time founder, you know, getting your first set of folks in the door uh, to really build around you can really be instrumental in, in how successful and how much your business can grow, you know, as fast as it can grow. Um, nailing down into a little bit more of the first or second employees, um, you know, so for us with Iconic, you know, we have two co-founders, um, 
you know, I would argue that you always at least want to have two co-founders, um, solo founders. It's just, it's, it's a tough thing to do. It can be done, but you know, if you are a solo founder, try to find some co-founders right away. Um, but for anyone, whether you have two co-founders, three or four, um, you know, you have to take a second and, and just look and see, Hey, what am I really good at? You know, what, what am I not so good at? Uh, and I think that having that awareness to do that is super important, uh, when you're making that first kind of hire. Um, you know, we did that with Iconic. I happened to be a little bit more technical, uh, very much on the product side. Uh, you know, I understood a little bit more on certain things with the finances, all that type of stuff. You know, my co-founder, and this is why we call each other very much yin and yang. My co-founder, you know, really liked the pitching side of things, liked building decks, uh, loves, you know, being out there, selling the customer, doing the sales, marketing, all that type of stuff. Uh, which for us is really beneficial, right? Because it's a very complementary uh, skill set. Uh, so for us, you know, we're running a B2B SaaS company. Uh, when we were really trying to think through like, hey, you know, we have our core set of skills between the two of us. And that's obviously not going anywhere. Like we're here, we're building this company. What is that first person that we want to bring on? Like what's the skill set that we really want to target with them? Uh, for us, it ended up being, we really needed like a senior level, engineer or hacker, um, you know, someone who had, you know, over a decade or more of experience in building systems, scaling systems, uh, building product across those, you know, web applications, mobile applications, the whole, you know, shebang in terms of just building core tech, um, you know, as an early co-founder, especially on the technical side, you can write good code and you can be a, you know, pretty efficient developer, but until you've really scaled certain systems, right? Uh, you just you don't know how some of them get scaled. So you have to have that senior person on your team who you can lean into and, and rely on to really help build those things out. Um, that's an example of us, right, as a B2B SaaS company. But that could be different for any startup or any company. Uh, you know, if you're maybe you're a consumer company and you're selling, you know, maybe an actual physical consumer product, uh, maybe you want someone on your team who for a decade or two has been in the consumer space and really understands all the different distribution channels and ways that, you know, a product can be set out and sold to consumers and how to track sales data and set up pipelines and all this stuff regarding sales. Uh, so it really just depends, you know, on, on the, the space that you're in and the core competencies of, you know, that early founding team. Uh, for us, we really wanted to make sure that we had that person who could come in be in the trenches and really just focus on making sure that all of our, you know, infrastructure and, and technology uh, in our tech stack was set up so that as we hire engineer two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, right. They're going to come in and they're going to have, you know, a great, um, you know, code base to work from and really just streamline developer operations. Um, oftentimes in the last note, I'll kind of end on, you know, these first one to two hires, Oftentimes, you'll find that person who, you know, fits that role and then they'll work for you. And then you'll realize, hmm, you know, maybe maybe we want to bring them on as kind of like a, a, a new tier of a founder. Uh, right. You know, maybe maybe they weren't here from the beginning journey. Right. But uh, they've they're very bought in you know, to your company. They've been in the trenches with you for quite some time. And they, they have kind of a core competency set that fills the holes that other co-founders don't necessarily have.
Um, so that's something that's interesting is as you start to try to hire that first one or one or two employees, you might get someone who you realize is actually a legitimate ninja at what they do. And you want them on your, you know, on your, on your, your, your founder level uh, as a company, because the people at the founder level are, are, you know, who set the initial culture. And then every employee after that affects it to some degree, but it's down to the founders in the beginning to really set it. So that actually kind of happened to us with Iconic with uh, the first, one of the first people that we started working with uh, and it's turned out great for us. So I think it's just something to keep in mind, you know, just because you have your first set of, you know, two founders or three founders, you're going to end up meeting some really great people. And, and when you realize that those people want to join your team and they're, you know, fully committed and bought into the journey you're on as a startup, uh, you really want to think about, you know, how, how, do, how does that person fit in? You know, we probably want to give them more than just a salary, right? You want to really, you know, make sure that they're compensated well, because at the end of the day, you need them. Uh, on on your startup journey, it takes you know five to ten years to build anything meaningful in terms of a startup and value. If you really want to see it through to some sort of acquisition or IPO, so you have to have people by your side who who fill the gaps of those core competencies as founders and are you know committed to being with you on that long haul over that you know five to ten year journey. That, that that's good. So I I like the. Um... I just I like your kind of thought process there, but I do have a couple of questions for you on that those first couple of hires. And I guess the first one that I want to ask is for any of the people who are out there who are are founders who are actually going through this right now, who are in this position, like where do you find these people, and how did you find these, or how do you find people who fall into that category and fit those strengths? Like what's kind of the strategy to get out there and, and scoop these. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. Um, you know, a couple quick hitters on it would be, you know, the first thing, and this is feedback we've gotten from, you know, other founders or investors or everyone is just tapping your personal network. So, you know, obviously you're a hustler, you're getting after it. So the odds are that there's probably at least one or two people in your network somewhere that are also hustlers getting after it, if not more. Um, and then from there, it's just a matter of, you know, trying to figure out how, how, where they fit in, if they fit in, fill in those gaps that you're actually looking to fill. This could include, you know, being a part of, uh, you know, an accelerator or an incubator. If you're a part of one of those, you can talk with anyone there and say, hey, you know, we're looking for our first core engineer, our first, core, you know, director of sales or whatever it is, uh, and, and, and just see in your network, you know, what, what folks, what other folks have and people they can refer you to, uh, is, is a great way. The other thing, when you kind of start to get outside of that network is looking for, you know, essentially just other builders. So, you know, being a builder, and this is by builders, you know, for us, I'm talking about software engineers, but for another, you know, consumer product or something, it could be, uh, you know, like a designer or someone who design cl designs clothes, right? It's just anyone who's building something. It doesn't have to be code. It could be any kind of product that you're selling, but it's figuring out like, where do those people go? Right. And, um, you know, for developers, a lot of times there's, you know, two places, if it's online, there's like these deep, like in the weeds, almost like Slack groups or forums that a lot of developers go to. Right. So it's like, you can, you can actually go there and, go to these forums and look at people's posts or responses, put your own posts or questions in there. Uh, and oftentimes you can find other builders in there who are just working on cool stuff. And then you can reach out to them directly through there. 
I know that sounds wild, but it's actually worked for us quite a bit. Uh, and then, you know, the other thing is, is just beating the streets. So there's the online piece to it, but then there's the in-person, right? So, you know, even uh, as I'm in Austin, right, I try to go to as many, you know, developer meetups, startup meetups, investor meetups, just anything that's, you know, around startups or tech to try to just continue to build that network. Um, because, you know, you, you're always going to be looking for talent and especially when it's in person, going to kind of the source of where those people kind of congregate and meet uh, for coffee chats or happy hours or whatever is, is a great way to try to get folks that, into your network that maybe you wouldn't have found from your original network as you've been kind of trying to figure out where you're going to hire folks from. Yeah. So I, I really like that. I mean, there's, I think there's so many ambitious, capable people who are out there who, you know, maybe have decided that they're going to pull the trigger and they're going to go do something on their own. Um, but haven't quite found out what that something is yet. Uh, but have the ambition and have the drive to go do it. Right. And if they're congregating in one place together to try to try to figure that whole thing out, which happens to be a similar place to what you're congregating at, right, that um, it, you can usually strike a deal with somebody, you know, or you can find somebody there who who um, who really wants to be in that type of type of realm or, again, is trying to do it themselves, but hasn't quite found exactly what it is that they're they're trying to make happen. And that could be a good person to kind of pull into that team and, and uh, start building from. Yeah, absolutely. And two, two things to that, uh, two points on that, because I was a follow up. Uh, one of the founders in our network, I saw um, on LinkedIn the other day, he said that their first, um, or sorry, of their, I think it was of their first 15 or 20 employees. I can't remember which one, but of their first 15 to 20 employees, that they'd hired as they've been growing, eight of them were, were former founders. So they were, you know, a founder of another company. Uh, and I loved, I love that and, and love everything that that stands for because, you know, in his post, he talked about, well, you know, why are we able to attract founders and, and other folks? And the reason that are like that, and the reason why is because, you know, essentially as a founder, right, you're, essentially running a core part of the business, right? I'm, I'm very focused on product, customer success, uh, you know, everything on the tech side. So if I'm a former founder and I'm looking for a new gig, you know, as this other company is growing and scaling, they're looking for people who will come in and take some aspect of the business, right. And build it essentially from the ground up. Um, and, and that's like a very compelling thing. I think as you're, you know, recruiting people or talking with folks is like, you're on the ground floor of a company. Right. You're not going to a 2000 person company where you fall in the ranks and, and it takes 15 years to climb a ladder and you're still only halfway up the ladder. Right. You're getting in the ground floor of a company where if you're in the first one to 10 employees, you're literally going to be in charge of a specific core part of that business. And guess what? As that business grows and evolves, um, you know, and obviously, if you assuming you crush it then you're going to grow and evolve into that role as well, right? Next thing you know, two or three years might go by and, and you could be a C-level executive or a director of some core business unit and you might have 15 people under you or 20 people under you. Uh, so that's something that I thought was interesting. The other thing that I was going to comment on was, you know, as you're looking for these folks, you got you got, you got to have a good filter. Um, you know, you're going to go through 
you're going to find some folks that are really good at things and you're going to find some folks that are just not good at things. And I think for me, a maturity and growth aspect early on in our journey was, um, you know, I was aware of it and I could tell when, you know, it just wasn't a fit culturally or maybe uh, the talent wasn't at the level we needed to be at. And as soon as I would realize it, it took me like one or two contractors that we had worked with to really just grow and evolve into it and to realize that like, you just have to have those conversations up front and, uh, you know, if someone's not a fit, then like you have to go through that, that journey and you have to, uh, either have a tough conversation or just figure out what the path forward is. Because if you leave someone in, in the company, uh, you know, as that's not the best cultural fit or, or that is not really adding to the overall productivity of the team. And they are a first one to 10 employee, any employee after that, that gets hired is going to see that and it's just going to trickle out and be a potential downfall. So as a founder, you have to be very aware of that. You have to be on the pulse of like the culture of, of your company after you start hiring folks. Uh, and sometimes you have to have some tough conversations around that, but being aware of it is, is, is the main first important steps so that you can, you know, stay ahead of it. Uh, and oftentimes it takes, you know, four or five people uh, in terms of interviews or contractors or whatever that you have to go through and kind of try out first before you find that one that's a keeper. Uh, one of our first, you know, one of our best engineers that we've hired, it took us, I think, probably four other contractors that we did, you know, short contracts with to try out, uh, to just try them out, see if it was a fit for, for them with the company, see if, if they even liked working for the company if, and, and that whole thing. It took about four of them. Uh, in order for us to to find that fifth one who ended up being the one that really was a great fit that wanted to stay on that we really um, you know felt like was was a good fit for our first team so it takes time it's uh, you know it, you got to have a good filter you got to be aware of it you got to understand you know when folks come in you can't just assume that from day one they're going to want to just you know work really hard be productive and contribute to the existing culture they might kind of come in with their own preconceived notions on what it means to work and and what a culture looks like and so as founders you just got to be aware of that of that pulse on your company hey so one thing that you said there you said um you went through five contractors before you got the person that you were really really after do you, obviously that's something that you guys is kind of a good way to go about doing things and the way that you guys have went about doing things in terms of of contracting that and kind of having this try it before you buy it uh, phase rather than just going out and hiring people. Um, what, what's your, just kind of give me the rundown on that. What's your thought process there and, and why do you guys go about it that way? Yeah. So for us early on, there's two pieces to it. One was especially early on, one was a money thing, right? Uh, we didn't want to commit to paying a, you know, engineer who probably gets, you know, 125, 150k salary a year. Uh, we didn't want to commit to a full year of doing that. Uh, because, you know, especially early on when we were still in college, we only had maybe, you know, 40 grand in the bank, right. Or 60 grand in the bank. Um, so we would say, Hey, you know, let's do a month contract. See will and lay out very clear to find things that we wanted to have them build that month. And then we'd maybe pay them, you know, 15 K or something instead. So it was, it was a price thing. The other aspect of it was because the opportunity cost of capital was so high, meaning that, you know, if we spent 15 K on one developer, then that's, you know, almost a third of what we had in the bank at the time. And, and we were trying to also do other parts of the business. Uh, we had to make sure that any capital we were allocating to, you know, contractors or early early hires was going to be going to the best people that we want to work with. So we would usually use it as a filter of we'd sign a contract for, you know, two to, two to four weeks uh, and let the company 
you know, work with the anyone who works at the company. Let it, let us work with that contractor, see how it goes, and then the same thing for them, right? We want to give other people the ability to see if we're fit for them. They might get into it and realize that you know we, they just don't like uh, certain things about the culture that we have as a company, maybe right. Uh, and so it gives them kind of a, a, a try before you buy aspect two. I will say the only downside to this, right, is that uh, one, it obviously takes a little bit longer. Uh, so, you know, if you, you know, right now we're getting ready to ramp up and really hire, uh, you know, double or triple the team uh, probably within near the end of the year. Uh, you can't necessarily do that as much, right, when you're going through that path of just hiring a little bit more at scale. Uh, in the earlier days, you can get by with it and you can try it out a little more. But as you start to have to hire, you know, five engineers at a time uh, or, you know, three new salespeople, if you by the time you even just get through the interview process and do that, if you then have a two to four week period with each of them. Right. And then they don't fit or something like that. It's just a, it becomes very complicated to scale. But early on, I think it's essential because you are trying to kind of filter out. But, you know, the short answer is just one, it was a price opportunity cost of capital thing. And then to uh it just you know made sure that we weren't over committing too much to someone that maybe wasn't the best fit for for the company gotcha gotcha that that's a, a good answer i mean it's just like any startup that you're you're doing when you're early on i mean it takes there's a lot of hustle there right there's a lot of hustle you got to go through and there's a lot of um maneuvering that you have to make to make sure that you stay solvent when you get right down to it um that, that's good. What So what else do you have for us today? So we've got our first uh, person or two hired. What do we do next? Yeah, I think after that, it's it's a little bit of a different game. And that's kind of what I was getting at there uh, towards the end of that question. Uh, you know, as you're starting to hire, um, let's say you have your three or four founders in place, two founders maybe, and you've got, you know, one or two employees that are kind of outside of that finder, founder tier. Um, so you've got a team of maybe you know, five, six people. Uh, and you've either raised some more capital or you've got a lot of customer attraction and you're really focused on, uh, you know, kind of scaling out and building that team. It really becomes a lot more like early on. I think the easiest way to explain it is early on, you want people who have like core competencies that have almost like very, they're almost like a jack of all trades, right? So you, like, you know, you want someone who, who's got a little bit of experience, enough experience in, in, in core areas to be able to just be lethal at what they do. But as you start to grow and scale, uh, you really are, it, your perspective changes on that. And you actually kind of start chasing down folks that are maybe a little bit more niche. And because they're more niche, uh, you know, they are only, they only fit a one more, you know, they only fit kind of like one specific role, but because they're niche, they're able to be you know, very, very, very productive and efficient at that specific thing. Um, you know, the downside to that as you're in the early days of the startup is that sometimes you don't always need that niche skill set. Sometimes you just need the basic knowledge of that specific skill set uh, for the first year, year and a half of the business because you're still pivoting. You're still trying to find product market fit, right? But once you start to find that product market fit and it becomes more of a focus on, okay, how fast can we deliver new product, new features to customers, you really start narrowing down and getting into these niche skill sets. So, you know, for us, we're looking at very specific, uh, you know, engineers that have, you know, a, a decade or more in, in very specific skill sets so that from day one, right, as soon as they come on board, essentially they can start to contribute and deliver product, uh, you know, basically from day one. So, you know, we maybe aren't 
hiring, you know, an, an intern uh, or at least as many early engineers as some companies, because we really need folks in that, uh, you know, five to 10 employee numbers when they come in, we need them to really just be able to contribute from day one. Um, you know, the downside to that is if you do that too soon, maybe you don't have enough capital because those folks tend to be obviously a little bit more expensive, right? Because of their uh, expertise and experience. But the, the, the payoff that comes from having those folks is so crucial in just the timeline, because as soon as you find that product market fit and you feel like you have a really understand, really good understanding of what the, what the market needs, it's really a race against the clock, right? It's how fast can we get this product into the market, selling it into the market, and then expanding across all the different verticals uh, within those, within those markets. And when it comes down to that, it's just a matter of, do we have the best people who can build this the fastest, the best way who can, you know, set up not just from the tech side, right. But also from the business side, do we have someone who's run us, uh, you know, B2B SaaS sales pipeline for 20 years, you know, or do we have someone who's kind of never done that before. Right. And identifying those kind of niche, uh, more niche skill sets that, that folks really dig into allows the company to become very, very, very productive and efficient uh, as they build out and really try to tackle uh, a specific set of things across the market once they feel like they've really found that product market. That's good. So how, how do you determine uh, what combination of people you need in that first 10? I mean, like, how do you try to, like, what's your methodology for going through and saying, okay, I need X number of people who are actually out selling into that, that B2B pipeline versus I need X number of engineers um, actually building product. Like how, how do you break that down? How do you go about that method? Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone's got a little bit of a different take on it, but you know, from, from our take and from the founders takes and the folks on our network that we've talked with uh, at the end of the day, you know, in this stage, it comes down to building product, selling the product and marketing it. Right. Um, and especially for a B2B SaaS company, you know, with iconic where in oil and gas, uh, you know, traditionally, you know, the sales cycle in oil and gas, which sales cycle is just, you know, how long it takes for, for when you have, you know, your first meeting or touch point with the customer to actually closing a deal. Uh, you know, how long does that take in oil and gas? It's usually quite some time, right? It could be six months, could be a year, maybe it could be more than a year sometimes. So we have quite a long sales cycle. So for us, it's super important on how do we hire, you know, sales experts or how do we provide certain parts of the product in a new way that allow us to cut down that sales cycle so that we can do it in two months or one month or three months and really, you know, increase the speed at which we're able to get customers in the system. Um, that's just, a, you know, kind of an example specific to Iconic. But I think the core breakdown on like a rough breakdown, right, is, you know, you're going to want to have like a 40-40-20 rule or, or somewhere around there, right? Um, you know, you're going to have, if you have 15 people, you probably have five, six, maybe seven engineers. Uh, you've probably got five or six, seven people across, um, you know, all the marketing and sales pipeline, and then maybe one or two kind of folks that are floating around in, in different roles there. Uh, but at the end of the day, right now in the, in the product market, once you have that product market fit and you're just focused on tackling that market, it solely comes down to the sales and marketing and, and product and, you know, anything that's not built around that, I would, I would argue is, is kind of, you know, uh, uh, not a good allocation of capital if you're putting it into, to skill sets or folks that, that fall outside of, of, uh, either of those categories. 
Okay, great. So that that's that's the answer that I was kind of hoping you were gonna you were gonna throw out there as I was asking that question because I think like you know people who come from bigger businesses and then they kind of um, sit down so they've been in a big institution or a big business and they say I'm gonna go carve out and I'm gonna go make my own company. Um, one of the things that I've seen different founders fall into, and one of the things that I think can happen sometimes, is they still have that kind of big corporation mindset and they think about scaling out in verticals of departments and stuff like that, you know, and and in turn, they're not focused on the core. They're not focused on the main objective. They end up with kind of a top heavy, um, top heavy business structure that they've put together because they think that's the way that it's supposed to be done uh, and ultimately fail because of that kind of misguidance in, who they're going after and and what types of people and departments they're bringing on early on rather than waiting until they've got um, this big core base that they're building on top of. Yeah, absolutely. And and just one quick caveat on my example, I would say that that's very much for like a, you know, a SaaS company or software company. I think that that changes a little bit as you get maybe more into like a, a consumer product that's maybe selling a physical good or something. Uh, but I agree, you know, that, Everything you said makes sense, and I, I've seen it as well. I think sometimes, even as we've, um, you know, looked for candidates, right? There's, you know, at the end of the day, when you're finding your first like one to ten people, you just need you just need ninjas. Like you just need people who are going to come in. They've got a core skill set with very kind of specific things that they're really really good at. They're going to come in. They're going to execute, and they're going to crush it. Uh, and ideally, those people also then eventually become, you know that top heavy structure of the C-level executives and the directors and VPs. Um, and they have, you know, hopefully that, uh, you know, people management skill as well as the company grows. But the reality is, is you need people to come in and execute. And I think that's the biggest thing between, and, you know, nothing against larger corporations. Uh, you know, eventually most startups grow into, to be a, you know, a, a large corporations, at least the successful ones do. Uh, but when you come from that larger corporation and you get some of those, high level folks uh, or folks maybe who aren't used to necessarily quote unquote being in the trenches uh, and then they come in and work for a startup, it could be either a great fit because they love getting in the trenches or it could be a terrible fit, right? Because they're used to kind of that more corporate uh, you know, bureaucracy where things take a little more time or maybe there's not as much innovation or, or trench work that's being done. Uh, and so I think that's something important as a founder early on to think about as you're hiring folks that are coming, you know, if you're hiring someone who's not who's not coming from the startup world already is something to very much be aware of because the, 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 the real reality is that the pace at which corporations move and the pace at which startups move are black and white. Uh, that's one of the greatest competitive advantages to being a startup is that you can move fast and break things and you can tackle and chase markets and, and deploy new versions of products and features faster than any corporation because you're so lean and nimble. Um, so it's just an interesting perspective and thing to think about as a founder is making sure you have that awareness when you're looking at candidates is just kind of understanding their history and background, where they're coming from. And, you know, that doesn't mean that every person that comes from a corporate world isn't going to be a ninja. It just means that you got to have an awareness, right. Of when someone's coming from that background of just kind of some of the things that maybe might come there. So it's just interesting stuff to be thinking about as a Yeah, that that's great. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, when I when I think about your ability to maneuver when you're small, it 
it always takes me back. Obviously, I I do a lot of trading and and stuff like that in futures markets. And um, you know, as a small retail futures trader, I can do things. I can execute and and capture edge um, on a couple of ticks here and there in these different markets that a giant hedge fund can't. And I've got a competitive edge in the market by being simply by being smaller than they do because of the amount of money that has to move um, to make things go. And I don't think it's any different from a giant corporation versus a small nimble company that can get out there and, and get things done when you have that kind of lack of bureaucratic red tape that you have to go through, um, which for sure some of that is completely necessary once you get to a certain size. But uh, when you don't have to work with that or, or um, when you're, small enough to maneuver without having to go through that, those channels, uh, it can be a pretty powerful thing and be a huge advantage out there in the world. So, uh, with that, what else, what else do you have for us about those first 10 hires? I think that, I mean, honestly, that really sums it up. I think hopefully that this was able to provide just a good synopsis. Uh, I think as we've gone through the journey and, you know, we're actively hiring folks right now too, but as we've gone through the journey, uh, realizing how important those first couple are uh, is crucial because it sets the culture for, for everyone to follow. So you really want to double down as a founder and, and make sure that those first couple folks you're hiring in the door are literally people that you would want to go to war with and that actively go to war with every day. Because uh, that's really what you're doing uh, as a startup is you're, you're going to war against a big market, a big problem, a bigger industry, a bigger company. Uh, and you're, you're always the David in the, in, in the Goliath situation. So you just got to be aware of those. Um, you know, hopefully this provided some good perspective. I think the last thing that I'd just like to leave everyone with that I'm working on getting better at and that every founder should always be working at getting better at is just to always be recruiting. Uh, I think as, as founders, it's easier to get bogged down with the trench work and just building product and trying to get more customers. And those are all great things, things that need to happen. Um, you know, but you got to always add a little bit of time for recruiting, whether that's just going to one networking event a month or a week, uh, or just looking at different folks on LinkedIn or trying to chase down different leads or having a job posting that just stays on the site. You always have to be recruiting. It's one of the hardest things to do, especially as you grow and have to get uh, more and more people, you know, hired at the company is, you know, having those pipelines that feed good talent into the company. It's extremely hard. Everyone who's done it before says it's one of the hardest parts about being a founder and scaling a business. So if you focus on it all the time, at least just a little bit of your time, uh, as you're always doing your other stuff as a founder, the other tasks that come with being a founder, it, it hopefully, you know, streamlines some things and just keeps good candidates, good leads in the pipeline. And oftentimes you'll even hear founders who have, you know, uh, 50, 100, 200 person companies, they'll just keep job listings posted on their website all the time. Because if someone good, right, someone who's a top candidate submits, even though they might not be looking for that position at that exact moment in time, they'll see that good candidate come through and, and they would rather have a great candidate and just create that position and then get them in there and have them start working on it than they would to not have someone in that role and then, you know, end up meeting someone later and, and missing out on that good candidate. So there's a lot of hacks there, different things you can think about, but in short, always be recruiting, um, you know, and, and just be thinking about those things as you're scaling your startup. Norm, any final comments or anything before we wrap today? No, James, I think that's good. Just uh, as as James said, always be recruiting and 
go find those people that you're ready to go to war with. So with that, we'll leave it, we'll leave it there um, for today on that. One thing that I do want to ask everybody to do, uh, you know, as this podcast continues to grow, um, make sure that you're going out there and you're giving us a like, giving us a follow. Um, and it, if you like the content that we're putting out, you like what we have to say, go tell a friend, you know, just that simple walk over, tell a friend about it and, and hopefully help add some value to their lives as well um, and help us to uh, grow this thing out and continue to get better and better at it. Um, if you want to find us, uh, hop on over to platcapital.io and. Uh, we are dot co platcapital.co um we continue to uh to grow out there and launch new funds and and uh that's where you can find everything that we do here on the pure capital podcast so with that you've been listening to the pure capital podcast thanks everybody have a good weekend